Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Things have been going pretty well in quarantine with my parents. No overtly awkward conversations. Everyone's following COVID protocol, but they did just get a new puppy. And one of the first things he did was found my briefcase in the corner of a large room and pooped on it. Dead center. And then we didn't notice for a good while. So I think that briefcase is always going to smell like dog poop uh, forever. Are you 95 years old? Why did you have a briefcase? (laughs) I am 110 years old. I bring legal pads to all my meetings Mm. and I jot down notes that I can't read later. Cool guy. Because I've lost my bifocals. Cool guy. (laughs) Uh, Well, guys, welcome back to another episode of What Went Wrong. This week, I am so excited about the movie that we're talking about. Lizzie, I, I, I just want you to dive in and get going because I watched this movie with my parents and Carmela last night. Oh my God. My parents were like, my parents were like, we'll watch the first half. Everybody sat through the whole thing. And it's not short. No, it's not short. Two hours and 15 minutes. And of course, we're talking about whatever happened to baby Jane. Yeah. Uh, I am so excited that we are doing this one for our surprise season one finale. That's right, people. Uh, We are going to take a three-week-long break. And during that time, we will be getting even more delicious episodes ready for you. But back to the conversation at hand, which is, of course... The 1962 film, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. This is one of my favorite movies ever. I grew up watching a lot of old movies. I will say I grew up watching a lot of Betty Davis, like of her actual Mm. performances. And she is amazing. Um, All About Eve is one of my favorite movies ever. We just watched that recently. It is still incredible. Um, I have a bit of a different relationship with Joan Crawford, which is that I mostly know about her from Mommy Dearest. (laughs) Right. The wild book written by her daughter. And the even wilder movie. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Which I'm sure we will probably talk about at some point here. Yeah. I mostly know that they both had four husbands. They did. That's really all I know about. about Yeah. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford are the stars of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. For anyone that doesn't know, they're are a lot of similarities between the two of them, not the least of which is that they both had four husbands. Um, 
Also, mm-hmm. speaking of Mommy Dearest, we'll get this out of the way now. A uh, little known fact, Betty Davis's daughter also wrote a tell-all book about what a bitch she was, um, but nobody seemed to care <laughs> about that one. Wow. The generational competition continues. So Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a, we'll say it's a horror movie, although it is kind of the genesis of a genre that would continue for a little bit known as the psycho biddy genre. My favorite <laughs> term for any genre And by the way, because I did look this up recently, to anyone who thinks Biddy is a recent term, hundreds of years old, uh, very old phrase. Uh, It was released October 31st, fittingly, 1962, directed by Robert Aldrich. It's Aldrich, right? Not Aldrich. We're going to say it's Robert Aldrich, and I hope that's right. Apologies if it's not. So it is a screenplay by Lucas Heller based on the 1960 book of the same name by Henry Farrell. It, of course, stars Betty Davis as baby Jane Hudson and Joan Crawford as Blanche Hudson (laughs) and Victor Buono as Edwin. And he is excellent. So good. So funny. What a weird character. He's amazing. (laughs) Um, Now, it was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Actress for Betty Davis and Best Supporting Actor for our favorite Victor Buono. Oh, great. Um, It did win one for Best Costume Design. Now, uh, the movie follows aging sisters Jane and Blanche Hudson in their mansion in Hancock Park, Los Angeles, which you can go drive by. Mm -hmm. Jane is a former vaudeville child star who has completely failed as a movie actress, all while her sister Blanche, played by Joan Crawford, rose to major Hollywood stardom. Both careers were ended when a horrible accident left Blanche paralyzed from the waist down. Now, it's implied that a drunk Jane accidentally, or on purpose, hit her with their car. Later in life, Blanche tries to sell their house and get Jane some mental health help. Jane turns violent and basically reverts back to her childhood persona eventually in an attempt to hold on to her fleeting childhood success. It's amazing. Uh, By the way, according to IMDb's trivia page for this movie, which is full of gems, uh, there is one piece of trivia in there where reportedly Betty Davis was complaining about the size of the fake boobs that Joan Crawford insisted on wearing. And she said that when she was supposed to like fall on her at the end, that it felt like she was falling on two footballs and that she was out of breath. I love Betty Davis. One more fun fact, you know, the sort of annoying neighbor daughter who is like maybe kind of a bad Mm -hmm. actress. That is Betty Davis's uh, daughter in real life. (laughs) Oh, great. Yeah, she's so bad. She's bad. bad. She's also the Mm. one that writes the tell-all thing about Betty Uh. Davis. And to be fair, her tell-all is much more disputed than uh, the one that Joan Crawford's kid wrote about her, which is pretty much held up by (laughs) most people. (laughs) Got it. Um, Now, something to note right at the top is I had always thought of this movie as a cult classic. Um, something Mm -hmm. sort of in the vein of like Night of the Hunter that didn't find its feet Mm -hmm. um, until later in life. However, that is completely inaccurate, which I did not know. Hmm. Um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was a success uh, pretty much right out the gate, both commercially and critically. It grossed over $9 million at the box office on a very small budget, which we will get to. Yeah. It's basically like one location. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a studio set. Um, Mm -hmm. So what went wrong on this movie that was seemingly perfect. For anybody that knows anything about this movie, I think you're going to know some of what's coming, which is that what went wrong came down to the relationship between the two massive movie stars at the center of the film, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. They had a, let's say, fraught relationship. But the question of when that relationship became fraught and what actually happened 
is a bit up in the air, and we will get into that. So a little bit of background on Betty and Joan for anybody that is not super familiar. Sorry, I've been drinking these spindrifts, and it is... (laughs) (laughs) Lizzie looks like she's about to just throw up with burps right now. (laughs) Okay. Both actresses rose to fame in 1930s Hollywood, although Joan got there first. She also, I'd like to point out, Joan's birth date has a little, like, question mark next to it. (laughs) I noticed that because I looked up how, I tried to look up how old she was, and it was just like, 19-something. Yeah, (laughs) so I suspect she may have been at least a couple of years older than we think. She got to Hollywood first. Um, she had a rough go of it in her childhood. We're not really going to get into it, but definitely, you know, was she was, let's say, like like hard boiled, if you will. Um, <laughs> but but oh, very Jesus. beautiful. I mean, when you see pictures of her when yes. she's young, she no, is she's like stunning, shockingly statuesque. Yeah. She looks like she was carved out. Yeah, of Yeah, she's gorgeous. She was one of the very few actors who successfully transitioned from silent films to talkies. Um, Mm. which I did not know that she was, she started gaining success in silent films. Now she did come pretty late in the game. Like she wasn't, you know, a super early silent, uh, movie star, but she Mm -hmm. just made the jump. And and I think a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that she has a beautiful voice. She does a very like deep, almost tenor (laughs) for female voice. Yes. Now, Betty, on the other hand, and Betty already was, I think, two years younger than Joan Crawford. So let's say a minimum of four. <laughs> Which is shocking because Betty well, looks 15 years older than her in the that's movie. That's on purpose. Um, I know. I'm just saying. I was still surprised when I looked Also, both of them went hard on the booze and they still looked pretty good when they were older. So, you know. Black and white covers up a lot of spots. I guess. I'm just saying. <laughs> Betty got her start on Broadway, which she would return to later. And she definitely always considered herself a serious actress. Like she came from a very heavy hmm. theater background. She had a lot of training. These are a lot of things Joan Crawford mm-hmm. did not have. And this is something mm-hmm. that Betty Davis would frequently kind of lord over her that, you know, she was the actress. Joan Crawford was the sort of glamour girl. Um, and I will say, like, maybe it's just by function of the character, but Betty Davis's no, performance she's significantly better <laughs> is out of yeah. this world. Like, and Joan Crawford's good. She's fine. But Betty Davis is remarkable. In yeah, the movie. Jo- Joan Crawford is good. I don't know if you've ever seen Mildred Pierce, the one movie that she did win mm-hmm. an Oscar for. I don't know that mm-hmm. I believe her as a loving mother who would do ev- anything no. for what is her daughter's name? Isn't it like Vera or something? I can't. Yeah, because they remade that. Yes. Now, as we were saying, Betty was an insanely talented actress. She uh, garnered 10 official Academy Award nominations throughout her career. There is an 11th that was listed as a write in very early on. Mm. I'm not entirely sure what that meant, but we'll say 11 um, Academy Award nominations. She won two Oscars, which is, of course, one more then Joan Crawford, who only won for Mildred Pierce. Mm -hmm. Both had very successful careers as leading ladies, but both were over 50 years old when 1960 rolled around. Mm -hmm. And both had pretty much completely run out of roles in Hollywood, which, as we know, has a bad habit of putting women out to pasture once they've hit 40. It is an accomplishment, but particularly for Betty, who did fare a little better than Joan, 
um, in her 40s because she did have All About Eve. She had the Virgin Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, she also had the star, right. which we'll get to. And also, like, I, in the Virgin Queen, she was willing to make her... Like, didn't she have to shave we part of her head that for that We will get to that as well. Role? Yes, she did. Her willingness to take on uh, strange physical characteristics yeah. seems to have maybe kept her in the game I think bit. so, and I think it comes back to the fact that she did not consider herself a glamour girl, even though when she showed up early, she was playing these kind of, like you know, sort of like little chippy roles. If you watch uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, they show early footage of both Betty Davis and Joan Crawford that is from their real movies when they were very young. And it's interesting because like it works really well because I think Betty Davis was not as good when she was young and she wasn't as good in the kind of parts that they were giving her. So it it is a little flat on screen. Joan Crawford, on the other hand, was this just absolutely stunning with this, you know, beautiful, rich voice. And you can kind of see like, okay, yeah, that one's the movie star. Now, for reference, Joan's last huge hit prior to Baby Jane was Mildred Pierce, which we've talked about in 1945. That is, again, the one that she won her only Oscar for, which naturally she accepted from her bed, as depicted in Mommy Dearest as well, in an excellent scene. Oh, my God. If you have if you have not seen Mommy Dearest... I almost want to say watch it before you watch whatever happened to Mm -hmm. Baby Jane. It is amazing. Faye Dunaway delivers a really career-ending performance in many ways. Um, Oh, also, before we get a little bit farther into this, I do want to say that if you are interested in Joan Crawford, there is a whole series of episodes on her um, in one of my favorite podcasts. You must remember this. Karina Longworth is the host of that. She's amazing. I'm a huge fan of her work. And go listen to it. It's really great if you want to get a better sense of Joan Crawford. Um, there is an episode on Baby Jane as well. It definitely focuses more heavily on Joan than we're going to. So both of these women are contemporaries. They're both successful and they're beautiful. And that means that they must hate each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So let's talk about the feud which is, of course, the name of the Ryan Murphy show, also based on this feud. Where it begins is a little muddy. The first instance of some tension in the press happens when Joan divorces Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Now, Mm -hmm. she chooses to drop the news of her divorce to the trades on the same day that Davis's film Ex-Lady is set to hit theaters. This was a huge deal for Betty Davis. It was the first time she was supposed to get her name above the title. However, it ends up getting kicked to the back to a tiny paragraph. And of course, the whole front page goes to Joan Crawford. Due to lack of interest and ticket sales, X-Lady gets pulled from theaters like a week or two later. Yeah, so she's pissed. Now, again, there's a man in the mix. And that man is Francho Tone. Francho Tone? I have no idea. Anyway, he is an actor. I'm going to go with Francho Tone. <laughs> I want that guy to be the one that gets things sparking. So he starred alongside Betty Davis in a movie called Dangerous. And Betty was like crazy for him. Very interested in him. However, she said that he would show up to set covered in lipstick kisses and stuff. Because guess who he was interested in? Notorious lipstick Notorious wearer. Notorious lipstick Hollywood. wearer, Joan Crawford. Eventually, Joan marries Franchot, um, after he had wrapped production on the movie that Betty and he starred in, that marriage fizzled out, as did all of Joan Crawford's. Um, but the seeds of jealousy between the two extremely talented women were sown, at least according to the press. I, I do want to say with a big grain of salt on all of this, I don't know how much of this is accurate or how much of it was being drummed up by the media. I think a lot, to be honest. 
Now, about this situation, Crawford once said of Davis that Tone had thought of her as a good actress, but he'd never thought of her as a woman. (laughs) Such a bitchy thing to say. Now, comments flew back and forth over the years as both actresses rose to the peak of their careers. Davis once claimed publicly that Crawford had slept with every male star at MGM except for Lassie. (laughs) (laughs) And that one, (laughs) that that one she for sure said. So they were at different studios in their studio system days. Davis was at Warner Brothers and Crawford was at MGM until 1943 when Crawford left MGM for Warner Brothers, which put them directly in competition with each other for the same parts. And Lassie took a sigh of relief. (laughs) That being said, as we've discussed, they're pretty different. So again, I wonder how many of the same parts they really were up for. Yeah, it seems like they would not have too much No, like I saw somewhere there were some uh, reports that Betty Davis had turned down Mildred Pierce and that Joan Crawford took it. And it's like, well, if Betty Davis turned it down, it's because she's 100% wrong for that part. Mm -hmm. In 1952, however... Betty stars in a movie called The Star, which was, in fact, a thinly veiled jab at Joan Crawford written by a former friend of hers, Catherine Albert, who Joan had had a falling out with. Now, unlike William Randolph Hearst's possibly unfounded hatred of Citizen Kane, this one was less sympathetic, let's say, to its lead. It Mm. was very, like... She's a washed up actress. She doesn't get that she doesn't have it anymore. Like she's trying to be this young, you know, sexy thing and she's too old. And it's like it was it was rough and it was clearly about Joan Crawford. So while everything I just told you was true, at least according to the press, there's no real indication that Crawford and Davis truly hated each other prior to the actual filming of whatever happened to baby Jane. The real feud begins on set and after. So let's talk about where the actresses were before the movie. Betty had actually put an ad out in Variety looking for acting work. This is not to say that she was like hard up for cash. It's just to say she was extremely frustrated and not getting parts. Chris, Mm -hmm. why don't you read the copy of the ad that she posted? All right. Mother of three, (laughs) 10, 11, and 15. Divorcee, American. 30 years experience as an actress in motion pictures, mobile still, and more affable than rumor would have it, (laughs) wants steady employment in Hollywood, has had Broadway. Betty Davis, courtesy of Martin Baum, GAC, references upon request. That's real. That's wild. That's real. Oh, my God. I mean, it's terrible that she had been just left out in the cold like that. I mean, this is Um, someone who's like... She has a sense of humor Oh, she's super funny. Betty Davis is absolutely hilarious. And I think genuinely mean, but (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) Yep. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. <laughs> Joan had also made a series of clinker movies and had done some like guest spots on TV shows. However, she was seeing quite a bit more personal success. She had married a man named Alfred Steele in 1955. He was mm-hmm. an executive at Pepsi when they married and became the CEO while they were married before he died four years later in 1959. Joan had been sort of an ambassador for the company while he was alive. And when he died, they told her that she was relieved of her duties. As you may imagine, This did not go over particularly well with Joan Crawford. She leaked some info to the tabloids. And if you would like to believe Mommy Dearest, sat all of the board members down and said, don't fuck with me, fellas. This ain't my first time at the rodeo. (laughs) One of my Oh, I believe she said that. Absolutely. (laughs) I think she might have. She was not to be messed with. Regardless of whether or not that is true, she miraculously becomes a board member and (laughs) assumes his seat at the table. So financially... Joan's doing fine. Now, where does whatever happened to baby Jane begin? It actually begins with Joan. She approached Betty Davis backstage after Betty's performance in Night of the Iguana on Broadway. Now, according to Crawford, it was her idea to adapt the novel with the two of them in the leads. It should be noted that according to Robert Aldrich, casting Davis was his idea. And the only reason he didn't meet her in person was because he wasn't in town that night. But Joan regardless, does manage to convince Betty to join the project pretty quickly. Interesting. Um, And this does speak volumes about Joan Crawford, because while they both said some pretty shitty things about each other, Betty had also starred in that movie, which was Mm -hmm. a jab at Crawford. And I think, honestly, this isn't Crawford extending an olive branch so much as it is her being an extremely smart businesswoman yes this is her realizing like the best version of this movie is i don't even think it's that as much as it's her knowing their history knowing how much the press has eaten up their rivalry that's what i mean from like yes. a financial perspective the best version of this is movie to pit them is against the two each of other us. exactly yeah. yes it turns out according to an interview with hedda hopper published in the la times in 1962 that hedda will show up again um that davis had previously had interest in the book as well Betty claims to have sent it to Alfred Hitchcock a year before they set the picture with Hmm. Joan and Robert Aldrich, but that Hitchcock simply had other projects lined up. I think in the timeline he had just, he was like doing press for Psycho and he was trying to get the birds off the ground. Mm -hmm. Davis agrees on two conditions. One, that she gets to play the lead in the title role, which was fine. I don't think Joan Crawford had any any intention of playing Baby Jane. Um, And two, that the director promised he was not sleeping with Joan because Betty wanted to make sure she wouldn't get favored with more close-ups. Which okay. was fine with everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I looked up Robert Aldrich. He's not that good looking a guy. No. <laughs> yeah. Now, Joan had worked with uh, Robert Aldrich on one of her previous movies, Autumn Leaves. And while she was a little pissed that he didn't take some of her script notes because she was used to like completely getting her way on set. She did like the way that he responded to her as a director. And so she did want to work with him again. And that's how this came about. Now, hmm. 
Aldrich actually had a lot of trouble finding a studio to finance the deal, which like when looking at this is kind of surprising. You've got two major names on this. Um, It's based on a book that had already been successful. You know, it's commercially viable IP. Nobody would touch it. In fact, when Aldrich first brought the picture in front of Jack Warner of Warner Brothers, Warner looked at the two leads attached to the film and allegedly said, I wouldn't give a plugged nickel for either of those two old broads. Isn't that pleasant? Lovely guy. Eventually, it does find a home with Seven Arts, which was a smaller production company that basically made it financed films on the assumption that larger studios would distribute them. Mm -hmm. It would be absorbed by Warner Brothers in 1967. But Seven Arts only agreed to do it on an aggressively low budget of around 980,000 by some accounts. So both Joan and Betty agreed to significantly lower salaries in exchange for back-end percentages of the profits. Remember this because it will be important later. It's a very small cast with Betty and Joan in place. There's really only one other character, which is Edwin. Chris, do you want to explain what Edwin's relationship to baby Jane is? Uh, It's strange. Uh, (laughs) So Edwin is a fully grown man boy. uh, And Victor Bono's like, He's got to be 6'3", 6'4", looks like a giant baby. 60 pounds, and he's hilarious. <laughs> he's a he's a down-on-his-luck-living-with-his-mother pianist who is attempting to grift slash just milk Jane Hudson for money in agreement. He's basically agreeing to play out her fantasy of this yes. return to the stage. He'll be her accompanist as she sings and dances, and he just tells her what she wants to hear, basically. Right. He's like a musical gigolo. Meanwhile, he's inwardly horrified by everything he's seeing. <laughs> every cutaway to Victor Buono is him just making every single disgusted face in the it's book amazing. of disgusted faces. They cut back and he's like, ugh. And then they cut back and he's like, ugh. It's so good. So originally, Victor Bono was not who was cast to play Edwin. The person who was supposed to play Edwin was an actor named Peter Lawford, who I looked up, not a ton of like stuff of note, had done some TV shows, couple movies. However, his bigger claim to fame was that at that moment, JFK was his brother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was related to JFK by marriage. And either he or JFK <laughs> thought that this was not the best role for someone associated with their family to take. And he uh, swiftly dropped out after having accepted it. Thankfully, this paves the way for Victor Buono to swoop in very quickly. The director had seen him in one episode of, I think it was The Untouchables. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they say introducing yeah, so, he's, for his role. He's very young. He's very He'd not done a lot, but man, does he kill it. All right, some of the cool things that went sort of wrong during the shoot we're going to talk about before we get to the more salacious stuff. Do you remember the couple of moments where baby Jane imitates Blanche's voice on the phone? Yes. Yes. So it's particularly creepy because it is Joan Crawford's voice being dubbed over okay, Betty Davis. I assumed it was, yes. but it's really well done. It's very well done. They tried having Betty Davis do it. And mm-hmm. if you've ever heard oh, Betty God. Davis talk, no. it wasn't going to happen. No. So they realized there was no way and they were just going to have to dub it over, which they do. And the result is very unnerving. It's, it's very well. I mean, the sync is perfect. Like the performance matches. Uh, the way her face changes when she yes. does the voice is so creepy. All of a sudden she seems sophisticated and in control. Her eyes uh, get so much bigger and she does the oh, weird God. like... God, she's so good. 
I'm 90% sure that Heath Ledger just watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane before doing Joker <laughs> and Batman and like literally based his makeup on her makeup too. The makeup and... looks exactly like it. According to Davis, they also intended to shoot the film in color initially, but she pushed back and insisted that it be shot in black and white. Um, Interesting. And I think like a big part of the reason why she and Joan Crawford had so much say in this is that they took, they did it for almost no money. Right. Um, yeah. So I wonder why they wanted it. I mean, it, it's cheaper to shoot in black and white, so it would have helped the budget. I just want, I mean, I think color was something that maybe was helping movies. That, this is a guess, but was, you know, still relatively new and might've mm-hmm. been something that could have been considered, you know, a box office bump. But her point was it would have sort of beautified a movie that was grotesque Mm. and sort of deserved to be in shades of gray. Interesting. Another scene. Now, you may have noticed while watching that the driving scenes in this movie look a little different than some other old movies. Did that stand out to you at all? I guess. Yeah, a little bit. If you're used to watching old movies, I at least I expect the sort of situation where it's like they're clearly in a car. Right. They're in a car on a lot. And then there's the projection of the road Mm -hmm. behind them and it does not match up with their movements. And like, that's how it was done. Mm -hmm. This looks different. And this is the first time I noticed this watching it this time. I was thinking like, man, that doesn't look like that. Like it, it looks better in many ways. That is because they did not have enough money to do (laughs) the regular type of sort of old school green screen projection they were doing. So they really just put a cameraman in the backseat of the car car and let Betty Davis drive down Beverly Mm -hmm. Boulevard in full baby Jane makeup. Mm -hmm. And she said people were like, (laughs) what the fuck is going on? Yeah. (laughs) And she drove past them. Speaking of the makeup, this is my favorite thing I learned in researching this movie. She did her own makeup. And that's amazing. That is because allegedly no makeup artist would agree to do what she was asking them to do. In fact, she did approach several of some of the top makeup artists in Hollywood, one even said that he was afraid he might never work again if he did what oh my God. she was asking yeah. him. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Everyone's supposed to make actresses look beautiful. Right. And she's like, I want to look like a monster baby. Yeah. And <laughs> that's not really a calling card. Well, uh, she did a great should job. Have been. She did an amazing job. She said she wanted to look like the women that she saw wandering Hollywood Boulevard who looked like these former silent film actresses that had just sort of washed up. Something else she said was that she wanted it to look like Jane never washed her face. She just put another yeah. layer of makeup on. And oh, it looks like that. Did she nail it? <laughs> yes. Um, so the director and the production team were actually concerned about the makeup and thought that she had gone too far, like that it was too upsetting Extreme. and weird yeah maybe in color in black and white it works in black and white it, i mean it's still rough um no it's jarring yeah. don't get me wrong but she stuck to her guns and she was like nope yeah. this is it like this is what the character would wear and then to her credit when the author saw her in the makeup he was like oh nailed it <laughs> yeah and as you pointed out earlier she did have a history of not being afraid of making herself really look like shit on camera mm-hmm. which was extremely unusual Um, She had done The Virgin Queen where she played Queen Elizabeth. She did shave part of her head for that. She'd done another movie where she played someone who like died of consumption and she looked like Mm -hmm. really rough, like really Mm -hmm. rough, not Hollywood TV at the end of that. It was it was like real TV. Yeah. And Joan Crawford, interestingly, had previously commented on it in the press She said, quote, Miss Davis was always partial to covering up her face for motion pictures. She called it art. Others might call it camouflage, a cover up for the absence of any real beauty. (laughs) Jesus. 
Oh, I'm so glad I didn't like work in these circles at this time. I oh, would have loved it. Mental breakdown. <laughs> I love it. Now, when Betty's daughter, who we previously mentioned, saw her mother in makeup for the first time, she said, oh, mother, this time you've gone too far. <laughs> oh, these people. All right. So let's get into the stuff that allegedly happened on the set. Of their respective roles, Joan once said, quote, I'm the crippled sister in a wheelchair. There are scenes that will tear you to pieces. When we rehearsed this morning, Betty practically tore the setup. She whirled my wheelchair around, lifted it six inches from the floor. This is wonderful for me. I usually play the bitches. Now I can sit back and watch Betty do it. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. Now, as you may remember from earlier in the conversation, and of course the iconic boardroom scene in Mommy Dearest, Crawford had, of course, been married to the CEO of Pepsi and was now mm -hmm. on the board. Naturally, this led Betty Davis to having a Coca-Cola machine installed in her dressing room that she would of course. prominently put on display yes. and drink everywhere she went. <laughs> she just cracks one before every take. She literally did. Yeah. Some other salacious rumors about things that allegedly, I'm just going to put a big allegedly at the top of this whole section because it is all very hard to confirm, but these are all written about. Um, one is that Betty Davis allegedly called Joan Crawford. Uh, I'm sorry to my mom and grandma who listened to this podcast. It's Betty Davis's fault. A phony cunt and sent her a note telling her to get off the crap when Joan had been trying to curry favor with the rest of the crew. <laughs> get off the crap. Get off the crap. I will say a phony cunt is like <laughs> such a good insult because it implies that if she was a genuine cunt, that would be okay. <laughs> like, he, that would be a good thing. Honestly, though, that is my take on Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. I think Betty yeah. Davis was very genuine. I think she was very upfront about the fact that she was kind of a bitch. I think Joan Crawford was, like... Two-timing it. Yeah, she was, like, mm -hmm. p possibly evil to her core. <laughs> right. Or at the very least, she was, you know... She was not a nice lady at heart for whatever reason no. there might be there. It's not to say she's not talented, but she put on this act and this show of being very right. polished and very mm -hmm. kind and generous. And, you know, she adopted mm -hmm. all these kids who she beat with wire hangers in privacy. Ooh. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now... Crawford also claimed that Betty Davis actually hit her in the head when they were filming the scene where Jane uh, beats Blanche. And oh, I believe it. I kind of do too. Some, yeah. <laughs> it looks even when like it. <laughs> even when she slaps her in the face, oh, I was she like, for sure slaps her in the face. That was she pulled that real well. She if that's hit uh, her hard. If there was no contact. No, yeah, exactly. there's, there's for sure contact. You can see her yeah, slapping yeah. her in the face. Yeah. Um, some versions of that story said that. Crawford actually needed stitches. I don't believe that. I don't think Joan Crawford would have let that not be written about immediately if that were the case. Also, this is one of my favorites. In the scene where Betty has to drag Joan, it's always been rumored that Joan Crawford wore like weights or a lead belt underneath her clothes to make it difficult for Betty, who had back problems, to drag her. Oh, that's terrible. I will say, knowing that and watching the movie, I believe yeah. that one too, because if you watch that scene... Mm -hmm. Joan Crawford is tiny. She's like five oh, yeah. three. She probably and she's very very skinny. She like, weighs like she's 110 on the beach, pounds. She's basically disappeared. Right. by that part of the movie. She's super super skinny, but it does look like Betty Davis is mm -hmm. dragging like 220 pounds <laughs> yes. across the floor, and she is like uh, visibly sweating <laughs> trying yes. to do it. 
That is true. Um, about that scene, the director said basically that Joan wanted to see Betty in pain. Now, Davis thoroughly enjoyed poking fun at Crawford on set because she said she had pretty much zero sense of humor. And I kind of think that that's where this started. I think there oh, had... that at 100% is clearly yes. true. Like, my impression after reading all of this is that Yes, there was this sort of drummed up feud in the media, quote unquote, prior to this time. But I think they came to this film because they wanted to work together. Like, I don't believe that they hated each other going into this. Certainly not to the... Uh, yes, certainly not to the point where, you know, they couldn't be in the room together, obviously. No. You know, and so... But obviously, Joan Crawford seems like a humorless person. Yeah. And Betty... Betty Davis is clearly someone who thinks life is a cosmic joke. And like, yes. that is a deadly combination. Yeah, especially when they're both used to having their way. And I think mm -hmm. also both very like deeply insecure people, because a lot sure. of this comes from both of them kind of trying to win the affection of the crew and going about it in very weird and backhanded ways. So the filming wraps. It's shot very quickly. Other than the aforementioned kicks to the head and weight mm -hmm. belts, it went well. They apparently finished shooting around September 12th. One month later, they held a sneak preview in Long Beach. Holy crap. Yeah. A month later, that's last action hero scheduling. It is last action hero scheduling. Mm -hmm. Betty basically said that like Robert Aldrich was like cutting this as they went. He was cutting it in the oh, camera is what she said. Like mm -hmm. it was just, they were really only shooting what they needed. Well, and visually the movie's super well this was very interesting the movie is incredibly simple obvious in the way that they shoot it and it was just interesting we had just done citizen kane recently visually citizen kane feels more modern than what happened to baby jane i think even that's though on purpose was, though even though it was filmed 23 years prior yeah but i i partially i think it's on purpose i do think it's largely a consequence of the budget when you can't spend a lot of time on sophisticated camera setups and big sets and you know, a lot of takes like you just have to simplify. And I think Aldrich intelligently realized this movie's going to live or die on these two performances. Right. Let's put the camera in there and get out of the way. I think that's I think that's right. There's there's not a lot of like flourish to this outside no. of the acting, which is it's a play, basically. Yeah. So it comes time for the press tour. Now, I want to send you something else, Chris, to have you look at this. So I want you to take a look at the movie poster that they were using to market whatever happened to Baby Jane. You'll notice that, first of all, that the doll on the poster does not even remotely match the doll in no. the movie. That is because the marketing team was doing the posters like while and before the movie had shot because <laughs> they knew they were like, we have six weeks to do this. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing, I think it's very interesting that the marketing is all about the two of them, and not just the two of them, is all about the two of them pitted against each other. You'll notice that the words on the poster are, sister, sister, oh sister, so fair, right. why is there blood all over your hair? They're not hiding much with this. There's also no. a little caveat um, on some of the posters that was like, things to remember when you go see baby Jane, like, don't be frightened. And then the last thing it says is like, try to remember that this is just a movie when tensions get too high. So the press, 100%, the entire marketing campaign for this movie was Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Mm -hmm. You never thought you were going to see them on screen together because they fucking hate each other. But guess what? Here they are. And are they going to really kill each other? Go see the movie to find out. That's what it was. So right. that's why I'm hesitant to believe 
a lot of the stuff that was drummed up because, frankly, a lot of it was drummed up as press for this movie. Right. Yeah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here's where the real shit goes down. They're scheduled to do a press tour for the movie when it releases, but Joan Crawford drops out at the last minute. Now, Betty Davis said Joan Crawford dropped out because she didn't want to be on stage next to her and knew that she would be upstaged. Mm-hmm. Joan tells a different story. Joan says, basically, that she had called Betty because Joan saw an early screening of the movie and loved it. And she called Betty Davis to say, like, please go see it. I think you're going to be really proud of this. It's great. Like, you mm-hmm. were great in it. Um, go watch it. According to Joan, Betty goes and watches it and then promptly calls up Joan and says, you were right. What a good job I did. Thanks so much. Uh, bye. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> she's not wrong. <laughs> she's not wrong. But it definitely put a thorn in Joan's side that Betty... Oh, yeah. I, here's, here's what I gathered. I think Joan thought that her part would be just as vibrant as Betty's would on screen. And I think she begins to realize very quickly it's not. And it's Betty's movie. And as, it's by the Betty's way, like movie. for most of the last 45 minutes, Joan's not even on screen. She is unconscious. <laughs> she is she is literally tied, hogtied with tape over her mouth. Yes. And Betty's like, don't talk now. And then she just walks away and we get more <laughs> Betty Davis time. Yeah. Yeah. So as we have discussed, the standout performance in this belongs to Betty Davis, which leads to a Best Actress nomination for Betty Davis. Now, it seems that Joan very much expected to also get one. And a she Best does Actress not. nomination? I think she expected minimum supporting actress. Yeah, I was going to say, even just based on screen time, I don't think she could get... I don't think so either. Best Actress. Um but so she did not get a best supporting nomination. She either. gets nothing, oh, which is a little rough. She is really good in this. Um, so sure. I can see that being a dig. So Joan, being the sweet, kind, generous angel that she is, decides to call up all of the other best actress nominees who are nominated alongside Betty Davis and just let them know that should they for any reason be unable to attend the Oscars, she would be happy to accept the Oscar in their place. Can you just do that? Can you just, I, I'm going to start calling people <laughs> and tell them, listen, <laughs> hey, you can't make it. I got you covered. That's what she no did. No problem. Yeah. Oh, she's man. She's like, I got you. Betty Davis finds out about this and she's like, weird, but you know, whatever. Like she was pretty sure she was going to win. She was definitely the front runner. However, 
Betty has since claimed that it does seem relatively likely that Joan had actively campaigned against Betty with the Academy voters. Oh, and by the way, if you don't think the Academy Awards can be swayed, go watch Green Book. You for uh, sure uh, can. So, yeah. yeah. Citizen Kane was iced out largely yep. because Hearst campaigned against it. So anyway. Joan actually teams up with none other than Hedda Hopper to basically ensure that Betty Davis's chances were diminished. Mm-hmm. Oscar night rolls around, and while Betty is thoroughly prepared to stand up and accept her third Academy Award, the person that wins is Anne Bancroft for The Miracle Worker. Guess what? Anne Bancroft couldn't make it to the Oscars. Oh, (laughs) no. Yep. So guess who sashays past Betty Davis without even acknowledging her or, (laughs) yes, slowly waves at her. (laughs) I just have this image of Joan, like, sauntering past her, like, waving as she goes. Okay, so, Chris, I'm going to send you another picture. I want you to look at this. This is Joan Crawford at the Oscars holding Anne Bancroft's Oscar like it is hers and posing with the real Oscar winners from the night. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. include Gregory Peck, Sophia Loren, and Maximilian Schell. And then jammed right up in the middle is little Joan Crawford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Joan's like, I'm just going to hold this right here, guys. Just going to hold it right up next to my face. <laughs> <laughs> I love she's a weird lisp now. Oh. oh, my God. It's, I mean, it is one of the most ice cold moves I think anyone's ever done. She never said anything to Betty Davis. She didn't say sorry. I mean, this was, to me, I think this is where the actual deep, deep hatred is bred. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, remember, this is particularly nuts because both actresses had accepted lower salaries in exchange for a percentage of the box office. And as Davis put it, it would have meant a million more dollars to our film if I had won. Joan was right. thrilled I hadn't. Because the especially back then, the movie probably would have gotten a second release after mm-hmm. the Oscars if it had won yes. an Academy Award. Yeah, 100%. Man. Joan Crawford cost them both money just to get up there and rub it in Betty Davis's face. But look how happy she looks in this picture. <laughs> I, I feel like it was worth it. I like that she doesn't show up to collect her own Oscar just in case no. she doesn't win, but she does Correct. show up and pose for the press photos with everybody else for someone else's Oscar. Oh, yeah. Now, interestingly, because of the success of this movie, and it was, as we said, very commercially and critically successful. Uh, They were all going to get the gang back together again. Robert Aldrich, Betty Davis, and Joan Crawford, they had all approached the same author for another movie. Do you know what it is? What is it? It is a movie called Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. I've not seen that. It's very good. Highly recommend. But when you watch it, you may notice that Joan Crawford is not in it. That is because by the time, basically what happens with Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte is that there is such genuine hatred between the two of them. It is not. It's not a functioning um, workplace. Like they really can't do it. Uh, Betty Davis. And guys. If you've created a hostile work environment in 1963, you got to know that it's a you hostile have work made environment. It bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Betty Davis was known for doing things like getting together the entire cast and crew for photo ops with Coca-Cola and like a bunch of other weird stuff and 
She would do things like make sure nobody was there to pick up Joan Crawford at the airport. It all kind of leads to this like paranoia on Joan Crawford's part. They actually started filming like she got a couple weeks into filming and it was so bad. Oh, wow. And she was so sort of paranoid that like everybody on set didn't like her because this was Betty's movie. She then in turn becomes paranoid that maybe Betty's sleeping with the director and she's getting better shots. It leads to Joan Crawford just checking herself into a hospital and being like, I'm sick. (laughs) I can't work. And she drops out. Um, She's replaced by Betty's friend and uh, true icon of the cinema, Olivia de Havilland. And if you want to see Olivia Mm -hmm. de Havilland playing what is perhaps her purest evil self, watch Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) I will, because I really enjoyed this film. It's very good. Now, Betty outlived Joan by 12 years. When Joan died in 1977, oh. Betty reportedly said, quote, you should never say bad things about the dead, only good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and then she poured a Coca-Cola on her grave. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. That's so horrible. So I think I think what we see here is that what went right in terms of marketing the movie, if you consider the fact that it was successful, that it went right, ends up really being the demise of Mm -hmm. this working relationship and and ruins their chances at ever striking this kind of gold again, because you can't deny that they are incredible on screen together. Yeah, absolutely. And this this is it. This is the only time you get to see it. I'm um, trying to think of other instances where on-screen stars hated each other this much, and I'm struggling to come I, up with examples yeah. that hit this level. Well, and I think when we say this level, it's because this is what the marketing team pushed. Sure. Well, like, right. this was the yes. angle, and this was considered kind of like a positive in a way that I'm not sure that it would be no, I don't think people, in recent years. And I, there's not, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of at least outward competition between performers these days it's like there's more it's you all want to be in the same marvel series or you know like let's get as many of the chrises in in the avengers as possible Um, well and i think a lot of this was sort of born and bred in the studio system because you had it was all contract players for just that studio so it was it was more like a a sports system where you had teams you know competing against each other that does make that's exactly right sense And if you also think about it from the studio system perspective, not only are they competing against each other for the same parts in a smaller pool, they also don't have agency over what Mm -hmm. parts they are choosing. So it's just completely up to someone else, which immediately pits you against your contemporaries. Well, and also there is something that actually it's an advantage for the studio system because like Coca-Cola and Pepsi, you can just constantly market your star as Mm -hmm. the alternate to the other studio star. And Which so, is what they did. and yeah, and that marketplace allows them to leverage these women against each other in a way that is unfair and probably was at the beginning largely artificial, but then obviously became real later on. I think it's sad to see sort of the decline of Joan Crawford. Yeah. After whatever happened to Baby Jane, she really does not have another hit. Um, this is it. And. She did some real stinkers late in life, um, and then she died. And it's also hard, I think, because of what made her so striking when she was younger. There was a new generation of actress coming up that was just more striking in that same vein. She's In this photo, she's next to Sophia Loren, who yeah. she's at least 10 or 15 years older than, 
minimum more, more. I think. Yeah. yeah and Sophia Loren's just the younger version of what she was and then Anne Bancroft was also younger beautiful. and beautiful yeah. point being Betty Davis the oddness of her look especially as she got older it helped it her. helped her I think and I think also the fact that from the get-go Betty was not particularly relying on her looks I mean she was attractive she was very cute um she got better looking in middle age, like all about Eve. She's really stunning. And she's, I think, 40 in that, 41. But yeah, yeah, you're totally right. The fact that Betty did not rely on that helped her, gave her a longer career. Not saying that she didn't have the same insecurities. Obviously, she did if this feud was possible at this level. So that's that's what went wrong and eventually right on the set of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. <sighs> For what went right for me really quickly in this. So I just watched that movie Run with Sarah Paulson. Mm. Um, We watched it too. It borrows a lot from this. Yeah, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was was fun. It was was extremely well made. I will say the psychological complexity of the characters in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is just so much more elegantly executed. And I, I don't think that's the point of Run, but I just love how wonderfully complex and petty and dynamic they allow these two to be and both Mm -hmm. disgusting yet sympathetic and horrifying. They felt so much more three-dimensional to me than some of these other misery style films that we watch. And I really appreciated the attention that they gave to the motivations of both characters because it, a lot of the movie could feel outlandish and yet it all felt pretty grounded. Yeah. For me, I will say what went right is just how hideous Betty Davis made herself for this. It is something that I don't even like, I don't think you see that that often these days. Like, you know, you see a lot of actresses. Of course, there's the joke that, you know, like you make a super beautiful actress ugly to get an Oscar. You're thinking like it's Charlie Theron. Theron. It's Glenn Close's bid and Hillbilly Elegy. Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know, Nicole Kidman, they put a schnoz on her for Virginia Woolf, although she still looked fine, but whatever. This, to me, is beyond that. It's not like hideousness for the sake of hideousness. It is something that transforms her so completely. And she's just, she is grotesque. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that she's quote unquote ugly or that she looks different. She is repulsive she's trying to um, she it's she's trapped in the child star and it's so good yeah. she's doing the same routines the same makeup she's curling her hair the same way she's modeling herself after it's her. amazing i sent a letter to daddy like oh my god <laughs> that's yeah she's great the worst song and it doesn't feel like you said it feels like it's all in service of the character in the movie yeah not in service of her reaching for an oscar i agree which she didn't get thanks to joan crawford <laughs> well Lizzie, thank you for that wonderfully enlightening exploration of whatever happened to baby Jane. It's been such a pleasure ripping through this wild and crazy first season of what went wrong. As I mentioned, we got the green light. We've been renewed. (laughs) (laughs) Carmela, my wife, she said it was okay. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, So one thing that would help though, guys, keep telling people about us. Yeah. Like, you know, you're getting your oil changed. You don't know anything about cars. You know, just just drop it. Drop it. Hey, you like movies? You want to know a lot more about them? <laughs> Check out what went wrong. David, cut this. Uh, 
tell a couple people about the podcast. And even better, if you haven't written a review for us yet, please go ahead and write us a review. It does help us a lot. We appreciate it. And we'll be back. And to the coward that gave us a two-star review, but, yeah, but, two didn't, stars. but didn't write a review, <laughs> come on. If you're going to tell us we suck, tell us why we suck. Okay? Yeah, don't let us guess, because yeah. that'll take us a long exactly. time. Exactly. There's a lot to work with here. We will be back on January 5th. Please keep sending us suggestions. We love them. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a happy new year. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Safe travels. Don't travel. Bye. What Went Wrong is a Sad Boom podcast presented by Lizzie Bassett and Chris Winterbauer. Editing and music by David Bowman with cover art from Uthana Yuos. Shit.